We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this episode we'll be talking uh, who am i kidding we're talking messy all right Everybody's talking messy, and we will. And we'll be talking other things, too. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. But look, somebody else is joining us. If you are not watching, uh, you will hear the dulcet tones of the great Stu Holden, who is also oh. joining. You know it's a big day. You know some things have happened when the great Stuart Holden joins us here on the pod. Back to you, Mossy. How are you doing? I am doing very well. Excited by this edition today. Uh, this is a, a, a last-minute change. You don't sound change. it, Masi. You don't sound excited to have me here right now. I am very excited to have you. Uh, <laughs> we obviously have some pretty big news to discuss, and by that I mean uh, the succession finale. And, uh... <laughs> All right. Well, let's go to our, our our guest over here. Are you watching anything or uh, reading anything or yeah, listening to anything so interesting? I, I did watch Succession. Very hooked. Loved the series. Phenomenal. Loved everything about it. Loved the finale. But... What has gotten me hooked in the last couple of weeks? Vanderpump Rules, Senor Lalas. Did this just start? Bravo. I feel like this has been around no, for a this decade. Is, it has been around for a decade, but they have uh, had the biggest scandal in the history of Bravo television. Tom Sandoval, total scumbag, cheated on his longtime partner with, his, with her best friend. They were doing it for a year behind everybody's back, and it all came out now. And they're having this big reunion. They're all talking about it. It's crazy. My wife's like, just do me one thing. Watch this one episode with me and you're hooked. I'm in. You're in. I'm in. It's insane. I've can't, never seen anything like it. I can't believe it's real. When you say scumbag, can you be a scumbag or are you, uh, in a in a reality show, or is that actually what you are? Yeah, so how well, much of, is he really a scumbag, and how much does he no, play this, a scumbag? No, this is like beyond even reality TV oh, really? level of a scandal. Yeah, because they lied about it. Then he told his best friend. He told him not to tell anybody. They're all really close. It, it's it's insane. My mind was blown. I was like, I was eating popcorn. I was drinking a glass of wine. I was like, this is amazing. Oh my god. My favorite Stu terrible television moment is, you know, both <laughs> him and our boss Zach Kenworthy watch Love Island. Oh yeah. Oh. But I do. When, I whenever I ask them about it, they always make the point of saying we watch the English version, as as if that makes it better. Yes. Oh yeah. The English version is the best. There's a new season coming out uh, next week. It starts. You can catch that too if you'd like, Mossy. All right. Well, Again, tell me. Uh, you watch five episodes of Love Island in a row. 
and you're going to be you're going to be hooked with me. Yeah, another one of our colleagues here at Fox Sports Digital, Nick Rago, is a big fan of Too Hot to Handle. So there's oh. competing shows in this genre. That uh, <laughs> well, you're not watching any of these. So what have you watched? Have you uh, seen anything interesting that uh, you want to tell the folks about? No, uh, as we talked about, Succession came to an end. Uh, Marvelous Mrs. Mrs. Maisel came to an end. Ted Lasso. So right so you're now, taking I'm a, a bit breath. of a, you're of taking a, a breath. Transition period. So what are you doing? Sitting at home and messy reading? Time. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, I have not watched a whole lot to be quite honest. Although I just started uh, something on HBO called The Burden of Proof is a four-episode uh, true crime documentary about this guy whose uh, sister went missing when she was a, back in the 80s when she was a teenager, and he's gone to try to figure out who did this, obviously. Was it a kidnapping? Was it a murder? And all that kind of stuff. So, But that's, uh, that's been keeping my, uh, my interest. But let's be honest. When it comes to, to interest, uh, should we light this candle, gentlemen? Let's do it. All right. You know, I got the perfect way to light this candle. All right, what do you, you got? Want me to intro? What do you got? You see, I'm wearing, if you're watching this right now, I'm wearing an Inter-Miami jersey. Yes. Not only is this an Inter-Miami jersey, it is the first hot off the presses, the duct tape, pre duct tape presses, messy Oh, jersey. my goodness. All right, so those that can't see, Stu Holden has just gotten out with his tight pants uh, and his tight shirt, and he's wearing the black with pink Heron's shirt, uh, and it has Messi on the back. So... We we uh, you know we wake up this morning just another day you know in the in the life of uh, of soccer and we come to find out that this I, I guess it's fair to say long rumored possibility has come to fruition. Leo Messi has decided to take his talents to South Beach, to Inter Miami, to Major League Soccer, to the United States, to North America. Um, Anybody out there that can possibly paint this in anything less than a joyous moment of celebration and excitement has no soul. This is wonderful, obviously, for Inter-Miami. This is wonderful for Major League Soccer. I think this is wonderful for American soccer. And it has the potential to be yet another seminal moment in the evolution of the game here in North America. Uh, Masi, I'll go to you first. Initial reactions when you first heard that this was actually something that came true and it came through all the Twitter folks and Fabrizio and the like, who we go to for these type of breaking uh, news stories. And eventually it, it got to the point where there was enough smoke that there was absolute fire that this was going to happen. Yeah, when Guillaume Balaga reported it, that's when it felt real to me. Then Fabrizio gave it the here we go treatment. And then Messi confirmed it a couple hours ago to a couple of Barcelona newspapers. Yeah, it's absolutely surreal. It's the second time that someone widely considered the greatest player of all time has chosen to come to the United States. It happened with Pele in the mid-70s. And then 50 years or so later, Lionel Messi, a guy who many people think has dethroned Pele as the greatest player of all time, is coming. He's certainly the greatest player to play in MLS. One could argue that David Beckham maybe has higher... Name ID with non-soccer fans, but Messi is pretty freaking famous as well and is the much greater player. So uh, it is absolutely incredible that this is happening. Stu? Yeah, this is watershed moment. This is landmark moment. This is a moment we're going to talk about for years and years to come. We'll be talking to our kids about this 20, 30 years from now saying, hey, MLS, Lionel Messi chose to come to Inter-Miami and play in this league. And it was even reported last minute that he had an offer from Saudi Arabia, three years, $1.6 billion. I can guarantee whatever MLS paid him, it's not even close to $1.6 billion. And it, it, the deal of in, allegedly involves you know, things from uh, revenue sharing with 
MLS and Apple's TV deal to Jersey sales through Adidas and Inter Miami to uh, the future right to buy a club, which I know something David Beckham had. I don't know how that deal would be structured percentage of club. Because remember when Beckham had the right to buy a club, what was it, 25 or 50 yeah. million or something it was, like it's, that? It was at 25 contractually and it ended up, ended up being closer to 35 ultimately. Yeah. And at, at the time, it was the right thing to do. But I do think that owners, especially in this day and age where it's now over $500 million, <laughs> yeah. they probably said, we're, we're not going to do that. And if we do, we're going to protect against that rapid type of valuation that we saw that made it an incredible deal from Beckham yeah. and his people. And I, and I think just one, one thing that Mossy said there and that what makes this deal different is that this is a Lionel Messi that is widely considered, and I believe the best player to have ever played the game, Six months off the back of winning a World Cup for Argentina that cemented that status, he will be playing in Major League Soccer. So you can say, okay, the guy's 35 years old and he's later in his career. You're still going to get some good years out of Lionel Messi and what he has already done, even in just the minutes uh, after his deal was announced and that he announced it and the rumors were spreading. Ticket sales for the fall in Major League Soccer skyrocketed, gone from $35 a seat to $400 a seat. Charlotte's announcing they've got the top bowl open. Uh, Atlanta's uh, opening a full stadium. You're This is only the beginning from what this is going to be commercially for this league. That shows you the power of Lionel Messi, both who he is as the player, but also his commercial value and what he will bring to this league and taking it to the next level. And for those of you watching us, we're showing highlights from the World Cup. And, you know, he's given no indication that he's going to retire from the national team. The 2024 Copa America is in the United States. The 2026 World Cup is in the United States. That's where he's going to be playing at club level. So the U.S. is going to become a very relevant country in this last part of his career. Messi is coming to a landscape and a world that is, and, and while I think the comps are out there when it comes to Beckham and Pele, for, for example, in terms of the, the potential for him to completely change the dynamic, he is coming to a very different MLS in terms of the number of teams, also in, in terms of the infrastructure. And I think back in the aughts when I was with the Galaxy and, and we signed Beckham, we were, I guess, understandably unprepared for the hurricane that is David Beckham. Now, Inter-Miami is still a relatively new club, but there is some intrinsic you know, knowledge and history. And there should be a template uh, out there. And I would think that Chris Henderson and company down in, uh, in Miami have been on the phone and been talking and sharing best practices. But there's already stuff in place. You know, when Beckham came, obviously the de designated player was done in order to accommodate Beckham. Uh, by all accounts, even though this is a creative deal, it's still going to fall within the rules uh, and the restrictions that MLS has. But he is coming to a very different type of Major League Soccer. And for the first time in his career, he is coming to a league that is built on manufactured parity, which is something that he has never played in before. He's also coming to a team that is last and one of the weakest teams in the league, which is also something that he has never played in before. And it will be very interesting to see what Inter does and what I guess MLS does, because there is a collective understanding that everybody's going to benefit from this, what they do, because ultimately a whistle is going to blow. And what messy do we see out there game in and game out, taking seven hour trips to Vancouver or wherever it ends <laughs> up being, playing on different types of, uh, of, of, uh, of surface and playing in a league where for the first time he is not playing on the elite super club of that league. 
Yeah, and, and Messi, the first 15 years of his international career, he didn't win a senior trophy. His last 12 seasons in Europe, he won one Champions League title. So it is possible to have Lionel Messi on your team, but screw up the other positions enough that you <laughs> don't win. So yeah, it's incumbent on Inter Miami, who are, have been one of the worst franchises in MLS or one of the worst teams in the league this season, to surround them with the pieces and a, and a functioning team where they can be successful. But I think that's a conversation for another day. Today, it's just the excitement it's, of having Yeah, it him. is. And, and, you know, it's. I think sometimes, even in this moment, it's important to take it out a little bit bigger and think about MLS needed Messi more than Messi needed MLS. And this is a league that has seen uh, unparalleled growth off the field in the past decade and what teams have gone from $150 million to three hundred to $450 million. That part has been phenomenal, MLS. Where MLS have struggled is capturing a TV audience and growing globally and being relevant in the global transfer market and in the conversation about one of the best leagues in the world. Messi instantly gives you a bump there when it comes to interest, peaking the American sports culture's interest. The people out there are going to tune in because it's Lionel Messi. You know, they don't care about Inter-Miami. They care about Lionel Messi. And so that, that part is going to be fascinating to see now how big of a bump that is. And when you do get that bump, how do MLS capture that that momentum and use it in a positive direction? Because I felt this year it's been a little bit, it's been a little bit stagnant. People can't find it. It's on Apple TV, and you know we have one game a week on uh, that's on Fox. Today will have been the first time that a lot of people 100%. even heard about MLS yeah. this year. Yeah, and I mentioned he spoke to a couple of Barcelona papers today. He took them through his thought process, and it's clear that he wanted to go to Barcelona first, but. The finances were just too complicated. They were going to have to sell players. They were going to have to ask others to lower their salaries. And then there was no guarantee La Liga was going to sign off on it. You can speak to that, being an owner in that league, how much Tebas has really cracked down on the financial stuff. Uh, and then he determined that if it wasn't going to work at Barcelona, he wasn't going to play for any other European club. He was going to leave Europe, which then left Saudi Arabia and MLS. Saudi Arabia offered more money, but he chose MLS, he said, for family reasons. Barcelona, shortly thereafter, put out a statement on their website, which is getting a lot of attention on Twitter because people thought this was pretty salty. Uh, they said, uh, on Monday, June 5th, Jorge Messi, the player's father and representative, informed club president Joan Laporta of the player's decision to join Inter-Miami, despite having been presented with a proposal from Barca in consideration of the desire of both Barcelona and Lionel Messi for him to once again wear the Blaugrana. President Laporta understood and respected Messi's decision to want to compete in the league with fewer demands further away from the spotlight and the pressure he has been subjected to in recent years. Crammy River. Well, I mean, <laughs> we won. Uh, we won. But but I will say, you know, part of the quotes and there's there's very few of them that are coming out. There'll be more going forward. Um, he said he wanted to get out of the spotlight a bit. Now, we saw this only last year when he went to dinner in yeah, Miami. Surrounded. Yeah. Messi's not going to walk down the street to the 7-Eleven and get a Slurpee and nobody's going to recognize him. <laughs> He's one of the most famous people uh, in the world. But back to your point about Messi, uh, keep in mind that David Beckham came to the league when he's 31. Uh, Messi is 35. He'll be 36 when this ultimately all plays out. But name me one team in the world that wouldn't sign Messi right now. And by the way, that includes PSG and Real Madrid. Everybody in the world would love to have Messi. And so you can throw out the retirement league and all that. And I think MLS has mo moved, on, moved on from there. But, you know, this is, this is going to be really interesting. And also to your point, Stu, maximizing Messi is huge. And whether it's, you know, the, the, the financial part of it and <laughs> jerseys and tickets, uh, but also getting people into the tent. And this, this gets back to a bigger picture type of thing. Messi is not going to change MLS drastically. All right. And guess what? MLS is ultimately bigger than Messi and will go on beyond Messi. But 
his lasting legacy is going to be how many people come into that soccer tent that we yeah. talk about. Because MLS's problem has been and continues to be not that there aren't soccer fans in the U.S., is there not enough MLS fans. Yes. And if this gives them an entree, if this is the hook to bring people in, that's what MLS needs. And now they're not all going to stay if and when he leaves, well, when he leaves, but a portion of them will. And you will have moved that much further because this is a labor of love, yes, but still a labor. And it makes it that much easier to continue to push this up the hill when it comes to Major League Soccer and being relevant and being credible and being appealing, not just domestically, but around the world. And, you know, this is a stunning rebuke for Saudi Arabia because they've come to believe that if you offer enough money, you can buy anything you want. Mm -hmm. And there were some developments in the golf world this week that reinforced that <laughs> no, belief that really? we're going to talk about later on the podcast. But here they offered him initially $400 million we all, year. We were all saying, wow, that's yeah. incredible. And then they even upped that offer at the end, which is kind of hilarious to me because at, at a certain point, it's not about the money. If you offer somebody $400 million a year and they turn you down, then they fundamentally don't want to play for you. Offering him $500 million, I don't think it's going to change the equation that much. It reminds me of when the U.S. government was chasing after bin Laden. They offered a $25 million reward. And when they didn't get any information, they upped it to $50 million because that was the problem. You know, <laughs> These Afghan goat herders were ready to give them up, but $25 million was frankly insulting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I wonder... You know, now, listen, don't cry for Saudi Arabia. They, uh, they signed Cristiano Ronaldo a few months ago. Good week. They just signed Kareem Benzema. And I don't know if you saw it today, N'Golo Kante is heading yep. there as well. I'm sure many Riyad other players Mahrez will go there as well. Yeah. Was, was linked. I, mean, I think what it really does come back to, though, for, for Major League Soccer in this moment and the growth and, the, and heading into 2026, which we're going to continue to talk about and where this league can be in that moment. This is a statement made by MLS, and it puts it puts MLS on the map in a different way. Now, it doesn't mean that every big superstar is going to be running here in the prime of their career. But it, again, it's just another reminder of how this league has grown over the past decade, uh, two decades, going back to the Beckham years, going back even further. I mean, think think where this league was yeah, 20, 20, 25 years ago. You don't even have to go back that far. I yeah. mean, when Beckham joined MLS, I don't have the exact number because I was playing in the league at that time, but it was 12 to 14 teams, I think, yeah. in the league. We just yeah. announced 30th team when it comes to San Diego that will be joining. I mean, the league has doubled in the past 10 years. You're about to have the best player in the history of the game will be playing in an 18,000 temporary seater in Fort Lauderdale until their full stadium is done in Miami. He's going to be playing in Yankee Stadium at some point. I mean... It, it's kind hey, of. Hey, listen, Pele played in, in, <laughs> in horrible stadiums Randall's too. Island, up, right? It's just, it, it's, it, I can't even picture it though right now. Like Messi playing in an Inter Miami jersey, right? I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's surreal. And Zlatan uh, just retired. And I saw you and John Strong on Twitter reminiscing about that famous call, his debut in yeah. El Trafico. Um, have you thought about that? And now you've called Messi goals covering Copa America, World Cup, et cetera, but you're going to get to cover a Messi goal in MLS and what that call is going to be like. That's yeah, we, uh, we, John and I were instantly texting back and forth <laughs> looking at our schedule to see when we have an Inter-Miami game. And it turns out we have one in late September. Um, I, I would not be surprised. I don't know how all this works behind the scenes, but if we don't end up with a couple more Inter-Miami games before the year is done. And uh, I don't know when he's officially going to debut. I know that's all going to come out. Uh, in the in the many uh, in the many days we have in front, but I, I would just say that you know everybody right now, as we are doing, we're rushing in here. This is my wedding anniversary yep. today with my wife because this is a huge moment for for American soccer, and uh, I'm I'm thankfully 
pumped that we uh, we landed the big fish here in Lionel I, Messi. I'm sure you won't hear it from your wife that uh, you said, hey, honey, I just got to go out for a little bit and record <laughs> yeah. a podcast. Lexi, Lexi's <laughs> calling. I got to go hang with Lexi and Mossy. What, what, what bothers her more, you blowing off the anniversary or Michigan beating Ohio State the last <laughs> two years? Oh, wow. All right. Probably okay. the latter. So, <laughs> so when we think about the, the changes, and, you know, I was a little... Uh, smart ass this morning on on twitter when i said if messi really wanted to leverage the value that yeah, he pro, has i saw your tweet that yeah, he should have said well a... i demand pro rel and i demand the, you know the salary cap to be uh, abolished going forward but to your point you mentioned it so let's kind of play this forward here what mls and and indirectly american soccer ultimately looks like going forward into 2026 and how much can the attention that messi brings kind of fuel the pump, if you will, to possibly some changes going forward. Because I don't think that we have seen what MLS can be uh, yet, because I don't think it's unleashed all of the power and fuel by design, because it is a league that is built, as we know, on manufactured parity and the single entity and all that. But if you took off some of the shackles and you said to these owners, whether they are nouveau riche or whether they are old school types of owners and said, have at it. What would this league look like? And do you think that this can help propel it forward to a little bit more of that? Yeah, so I, I think that for this league to be in the conversation anywhere close to the European leagues, you need a good Mexican league. You need North America to, to be strong. I don't think that MLS can do it alone I, I, in terms of just being a destination and being far away from what is still considered the the, the better leagues and the top five leagues in Europe, but then also the Champions League, right? Like that's that's the competition that the top players want to play in. But what we have seen, though, is that players can be bought. Money money is there. Look at Saudi Arabia. They're the perfect example of what's going on right now, where Kareem Benzema is going, Conte is going, all the names that you've mentioned. What does that ultimately come down to? It comes down to money. And I think that if you're paying even remotely close, let's say you're 10%, 20% less than Europe, but you're in the United States and you're in Miami, you're in New York, you're in L.A., players would rather live here than Saudi Arabia. Come on. I mean, even, even Messi said that. He said, I... I some of the quotes that came out, my family, I don't know, I couldn't see my kids living there. The money's one thing. We've already heard about Ronaldo, his experiences there, the infrastructure we have here, the, the quality of life, the beaches. Miami is a phenomenal city. So like all of that the U.S. has going for itself, I would say even beyond what uh, Europe has in many places. But it comes down to money. It comes down to just taking the shackles off a little bit, increasing spending. Messi, you're going to see a big bump in now commercial interest, I think, in the United States. Now, whether that's short term or that's long term, but you know what's going to be fascinating, guys, is let's say Messi's three, four, five games into his MLS career. He's traveled across the country. They played in Vancouver. They played in Chicago two days later. They played in his team's not doing well. They're not a good team. <laughs> what, what are his comments going to be about the league, right? right? Like everybody's going to be interested to see what he has to say in terms of com comparison of our standard. We do it every single time. How does MLS compare to the Premier League or the Championship or La Liga? All of these things are going to be interesting to see how he kind of measures up with that. But then it's also on Miami to build a good team around him. Tata Martino's been linked. Di Maria's been linked. Busquets. Except Miami had a problem that they cheated a couple of years ago and they don't really right. have much salary cap room. So then do, we, do even the ownership group go, hey guys, let's, uh, let's Greater give, good. Let's Greater give good. Miami a pass for yeah. a couple of years because you know what? We need a good Miami for this league to be good. And they do. Um, it also should be you know, talked about in this inevitable compare and contrast with, with, uh, with Beckham and others that have come that... you know. Messi does not speak English, okay? Um, he So from a marketing perspective yeah. and a media a perspective, point, yeah. it's going to be very, very different. Also, you know, Messi relative to 
Zlatan, obviously uh, anybody relative to Zlatan, but even Messi relative to Cristiano, he's never put himself out there as a big, bold type of personality. That's not what he is is about. And yet you're going to, and, and so all of Messi's stardom is directly and for the most part, entirely tied to the magic that he brings on the field. And again, all of those magical moments have happened when he is playing for an elite super club or an elite international team in, in Argentina. And so what happens when the on-field part of it doesn't translate and he's not bringing it off the field going forward? I, I, I don't know. I'm here for it. And as I said, there's no way to make this out to be anything better than a, <laughs> a, a positive and a good thing going forward. But it's not without hurdles and it's not without challenges going forward, both on, uh, both on and off the field. Mossy, I'll give you the last word when it comes to Messi. What do you want to what do you want to say about the man? Uh, I wonder if we can get him on this podcast. Now, I might have to do a little translating or we'll use subtitles or whatnot, but uh, the, the offer is uh, out there for Lionel Messi. I mean, if he wants to talk to the people directly and he wants to have the biggest impact possible then obviously he would want to come on the state of the union and talk to us and the the invitation is open all right if you need a special hotline we'll have a special hotline made and if and when that happens uh we will whether it's translation or whatever we'll figure deal it out mls have done previously and you had the beckham experience uh there's a lot of marketing uh deals that are written into there this. is but i mean <laughs> he's not going on the, on the late night shows right yeah. it's that you yeah. know that type of stuff is yeah. isn't happening i mean Ideally, you want somebody, to be quite honest, like Zlatan, who speaks five different languages and communicate, and all of those languages, he can bring out the the, pers uh, the personality that he is. But to so, your point, Messi has always been about the soccer, mm -hmm. and in the United States, it's more than just the soccer a lot, because we've constantly been trying to grow the game, and we look at ways of trying to bring, as you said, people into the soccer tent, and that has proved more difficult in terms of outside of World Cups and major tournaments you know, MLS doesn't resonate with the casual sports fan yet. Uh, Messi changes that. But for how long? That that remains to be seen. All right. Uh, should we move on from Messi? I mean, look, we're going to be talking about it constantly for the next three <laughs> yeah. years. And like I said, that's a good thing. But we will move on uh, let's, for that. Let's talk about the American Messi. Right? How about that? Uh, oh, look at you. Whoa, Whoa, what a transition. <laughs> Whoa. Well, what you, what you got there, Masi? What? No, let me set this up. Okay. Uh, some pretty big news in U.S. national team world. Christian Pulisic uh, gave an interview in which he was asked about Greg Berhalter and the possibility of him being reappointed U.S. coach. And this is what Pulisic had to say. I th yeah, I, I think I think he is still considered. I think he should be considered. I think he uh, did a great job with the team. Um, he brought us a long way. I think a lot of guy, a lot of people and a lot of guys in the team, especially, would agree with that. All right. Uh, so there's you know Christian Pulisic talking about Greg Berhalter and. We were just talking about, you know, people that are comfortable in front of the camera and people that um, actually enjoy that part of it. I would not put Christian Pulisic as part of that. Um, the interviews that he gives and the quote that he gives are often not as scintillating as you would want from a content creation perspective. However, in this instance, while he didn't, you know, what he said was interesting, didn't say it in the most interesting way. But also, what the hell is he going to say? All right, he gets asked that question. All right, he can't, if he hates Greg Berhalter, he's not going to house him there. All right, and I think he genuinely, I don't think he hates Greg Berhalter. I think he genuinely sees that this is a man who, in his eyes, and I'm, I'm just completely spitballing here on the outside, but just this is the impression that I get, that in his eyes, he sees a man that was done wrong and therefore should be considered in this ongoing, you know, uh, 
quest to, to figure out who <laughs> yeah. the hell is going to coach the national team. But I think he also recognizes that, and, and he has an inside view of this, all of the good and all of the healthy things that happened under Greg Berhalter's watch. And I think he wants to respect that and kind of pay homage to what Greg Berhalter is, despite what has happened over the last uh, the last six months. I guess the question to, to, for me to you, Stu, is do you think that he is a minority of players that feel this way? Um, and do you think that this really ultimately has any impact on whether Greg Berhalter is even, I guess, considered for the coach? They say he's been considered, but Truthfully, is he ultimately being considered? Yeah, well, I think if you watch that clip again, and I'm sure we can roll it again after this, but you watch Matt Turner's reactions when Christian Pulisic talks, he's ferociously nodding his head in, in agreement with Christian Pulisic. And so I, I think there's an overwhelming sense. Players talk, play, they have group chats, they, yep. you know, they all talk on the side. A lot of them are together when they're in camp. They're all talking about the coaching situation. And I guarantee Greg's name has come up a lot in that. And what it tells me, and Pulisic, to your point, doesn't love the cameras, doesn't often do media, isn't always out in front. He has slowly started over the past, I think even just since the World Cup, being a little bit more opinionated, talking about more stuff publicly. And for him to kind of endorse Greg in that way, and I know you said that he's asked, he... He doesn't. He didn't have to endorse Greg, though. He could have said, "Look, I'm not. I don't want to talk about the coaching yeah. situation. That needs to be handled behind closed doors." I think the fact that he even took that question head on and and talked about it in the way that he does. Now, I remember covering the United U.S. national team about you know a year, year and a half ago, and it might even be a little bit longer. Greg Berhalter and Pulisic were not, you know, necessarily the best of buds, right? And I think one of Greg's biggest challenges was to really get the buy-in from Pulisic and to make him the player that he believed. And remember, he benched him in the uh, the game against Honduras in the qualifier. And yeah, but but Christian has openly talked about, and Greg has talked to us about this since, and that he challenged Pulisic in a way that I think resonated with him. And the first time that he really, you know, had the right touch with Christian, and that can go two ways: you lose him or he buys in. He bought in, I think, in also seeing what Greg did with that team. So we we talked a little bit before. If Greg Berhalter is not interviewed by Matt Crocker, it feels negligent to me because I know we know what he's he's done in the past with the national team. Still, I think Crocker would have to speak to him himself, make sure that they could talk through and find a way through the whole Gio Reyna situation potentially yeah. and all the rest of it. But Greg Berhalter needs to be considered for this position. I, Ultimately, he if he doesn't get the job, yeah. it, it, that's okay. I but, think I think he will, but the the balance of power is so crucial in a situation like this. And yes, what your captain of your team and one of the great players on the team thinks, yeah. it does matter. It should matter to Crocker or anybody else. But it can swing. That pendulum can swing to the, I mean, hell, <laughs> you need only look at the U.S. women's national team <laughs> yeah. to know that at times it can swing so far to the one side that the Crockers of the world have no say ultimately. So I, I do think that this is an interesting thing for him to say. I actually think it's a, it's kind of a courageous thing to say. I know there's plenty out there that don't like Greg Berhalter that are looking at this and saying, well, this would be a step back. And how dare Christian Pulisic even have this uh, this view of Greg Berhalter when everybody else is yeah. you could You could forward. write the headlines now if yeah, yeah. Berhalter's rehired. We all know what would come out about that. Do you think the Greg Berhalter-Gio Reyna relationship is salvageable or would that just be too I, th awkward? I think it is. Yeah, I, I think it is because I think that... Involved his parents more so than I obviously Gio in the moment, but as we know after and that had come out, 
I think there's stuff that the two of them could get past if this was to be something that was going to happen. Because you're not leaving Gio Reyna off the national team. If Greg Berhalter's the coach, he's going to want to have Gio in the team. He's one of the most talented players that we've got. I, I think that you'd have to have everybody in a room, and I think time, time heals many wounds sometimes, and I think that that would be one that both of them would be mature enough to handle to get past. Yeah. Do I do I ultimately still think that Greg's going to be hired for this job? No, I don't. Okay. Well, I mean, it's interesting you brought up the the, the relationship and what is sal salvageable. I think the the player coach relationship is much more salvageable than the, I guess, the couple versus couple yes. type of situation. Oh, that, that's done. But yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I not so fast. I think the only way that that part could even remotely be salvageable is if Greg Burhalter is the head coach. Now that's not a reason to have Greg yes. Burhalter be okay, head coach, yeah. but. That's ultimately what was taken away, potentially, what was taken away from him in all of this, through all the craziness and all the hurt and all the ridiculousness and all, you know, just the disgusting nature of it. That's what was taken away. And by all accounts, that was in the palm of his hands and a fate of complete after the yeah. World Cup. But that was ultimately so, taken uh, away. Let me can I throw four yeah. names at you yeah, guys? Yeah, sure. And you, you tell me who you would hire okay. out of the four of them for okay. the national team. All right. You've got Greg Berhalter. Yes. Jesse Marsh. Yes. Steve Chirondolo. Yes. Jim Curtin. I've just yes. gone with four American names. Right. So, so which one of the f the four do you think at this moment would be the best suited to lead this team for the next three years? Best suited? Yeah. It's, that you would hire if you're if you're Matt Crocker. Oh, I'd continue on with uh, with Greg Berhalter. You, with Berhalter. you know, I've talked about this before, and, and a lot of it, I I raise my hand is because of ultimately what happened. Because I've told you before, I don't think that multiple cycles should happen. But I'm good with any one of those uh, those four. Yeah. And that's uh, just American names, so I know that you right. Know, exactly. There's plenty over, but like, you know, listen. Uh, you, you're running this pod, so we're going to work. <laughs> I might have said Trunlo, but his stock dropped for me oh, in the last uh, few days. Wow. One game, huh? That's, that's how Aussie rolls, you know? Okay. I mean, you, you So Mourinho's up. out for losing the Europa League final, too. Uh, Mourinho's out for a lot of reasons. I saw Jesse Marsh linked with Ajax today, actually. Ooh, that would be interesting. I mean, he's been linked to a lot that, of jobs. That actually would suit his profile, maybe from what he did at Salzburg. And, sure, yeah. You know, uh, I that, guess. that could be interesting. I guess. Um, listen, uh, you're going to stick around with us for a little longer here because we have some other stuff to talk about. And, and, you know, and you had er earlier mentioned this continual... Uh, relationship that the United States and Mexico has uh, on and off the field from a business perspective, from a competitive perspective. And so uh, I, it's only going to continue on as we hear news of new CL, new CCL or a change, a rebrand. You know, I love a rebrand. So <laughs> Moss, you want to explain to the folks what has happened here? It gets a little bit in the weeds, but I think folks that listen to this show will uh, will enjoy it. So yeah, I just referenced that we just covered the conclusion of the 2023 CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, John and Stu were at BMO Stadium for the second leg, uh, Leon beating LAFC to capture the title. Uh, there's news regarding the next edition of this tournament, 2024. It's been rebranded the CONCACAF Champions Cup. It's been ex expanded from 16 to 27 teams. Uh, five will get a bye until the round of 16. So 22 will then play in head-to-head, -head, two-legged ties, that will give you 11, who will join the other five, and that'll form the round of 16. The round of 16, the quarterfinals and the semis will be two-legged ties. The final will be a one-off match in a neutral venue. Uh, they've increased the prize to $5 million for the winner. So uh, some big changes afoot here in the biggest uh, CONCACAF club competition. All right. So the $5 million prize, I think that's great. Uh, the the rebrand of it going from a league to a cup actually makes a little bit more sense and it's kind of sensible uh, going forward. The the expansion is is interesting because by my calculation, and I could be wrong, Mossy, 10 MLS teams, if everything went right, the five 
automatic positions that you have, the three potentially in terms of finishing first, second, and third, and I know a lot would have to happen in the Leagues uh, Cup. Leagues Cup. Uh, <laughs> then, a lot uh, of cups. then obviously the two from Canada that could possibly well, happen. A U.S. Open Cup winner and Canadian Championship winner. And Canadian Championship. So there, there is a lot of stuff that could happen, and a lot of MLS teams potentially uh, could, uh, could be part of it. I mean, that's good from an MLS perspective, and what this... What this ultimately means for CONCACAF Champions Cup, I guess it would be, that's the, that's the big question. I do think that this makes it better. I do think that this makes it more entertaining. It brings up some other questions that, uh, that I'll, I'll say for a second here and ask you here in a second. But Stu, thoughts on uh, the CCC, I guess we're calling yeah, it Yeah, the, the Champions Cup. How many cups are in this, uh, in this region? <laughs> you know, we've got a lot of cups now. Uh, what I would say is that I think this is in line with what you're seeing globally right now when it comes to FIFA and Gianni Infantino you know, expanding the men's World Cup, expanding the women's World Cup. It's all about growing the game. And that that's what you hear a lot. And Victor Montagliani is a very smart man, the president of CONCACAF. Uh, he has really tried to expand the Nations League to try to give more opportunity to a lot of the Central American and Caribbean teams to get them to raise the level of play, to have more investment in the game. Ultimately, I think that is all... Uh, really good for this region because it can't just be U.S. and Mexico. And we saw Canada now starting to emerge and push and finishing first in the, uh, what was it, the octagonal, the last uh, qualifying right. sequence. But for them, qualifying for a World Cup. Um, and you know, th this is a positive thing for me. The, the increase in prize money, I think you might see teams, which you have seen MLS teams the last couple of years, take it very seriously and try to win this. But for 500000 to the champion to now $5 million, that's a big bump, man. And uh, I, I like the one-off. I, I think you see that it creates a nice, it's in line with showcase games in the Champions League. Um, because, yeah, the you know, the two-leg is, is always a little bit weird in trying to explain that. If you can have it one big game and make it a showcase game. So uh, I think all these changes are good. I just wish Victor had announced it when he came on with us at halftime of oh, our show. Oh, I know, on, uh, yes. On, uh, <laughs> so, so those that watch the CONCACAF Champions League second <laughs> leg, we had Victor Montelliani. And look, peek behind the curtain. Oftentimes... The, the, the leadership and whether it's presidents or commissioners or whatever, you know, they want to come on and they want to come at, on at halftime. But oftentimes when they come on, it's to announce something. And from our perspective, we, we would want, want that to happen yeah. to something like that. And this is a pretty big announcement <laughs> that he came on and just said everything was great and all that kind of stuff in a couple of days and probably didn't want to step on their announcement and everything like that. But, you know, come on, come man. on, Victor, come on, we'll get you some more uh, Chardonnay. From there Wallace we go. And, oh, yeah. uh, a couple of points for me. We just got done talking about Lionel Messi arriving in MLS and all that excitement. I do wonder if you have as many as 10 MLS clubs competing in the CONCACAF Champions Cup the first half of the year, and then you have the League's Cup in the second half of the year. Is that going to diminish the MLS regular season? Is that going to feel like almost and, an afterthought? And the Open Cup. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> yes. Open I Cup. I mean, it's There's, a lot going it's, on. It's a lot of soccer. Yeah, it is. They, I mean, think how many games these players are playing these wow. days. And every time they justify They're be it, fine, though, still. come on. Every time they justify it by, hey, guys, it's it's more money. Now. Please. It's more money. Stop. Show me a player that would rather train than play games. They all want to play games. They don't care. And on the one off final, I agree with you in theory. I think it gives it that Super Bowl feel, makes it bigger. But, you know, Conrad Ball has tried that since 2019 with the Libertadores and the Sudamericana, and it's been very unpopular in South America. People think it's created kind of a sterile environment for these finals. So it'll be interesting to see how that yeah, goes. We, with we have that with the Super Bowl. Everybody goes and says, oh, it's so commercial. But you know what? They go. Makes money, baby. <laughs> makes money. It makes money. All right. So, <laughs> so here's my question. This is much bigger picture, right? We understand and we accept, we agree or not, that's debatable, but we understand and accept that 
the structure and the system and the pyramid, if you will, in U.S. soccer is very different than the, the rest of the world without promotion relegation and the ability to have multiple uh, second divisions or first divisions, given the uh, the standards that are that are there, and the interplay of leagues is very limited. We have you know, Open Cup and some different things here. So, if you go on the uh, Concacaf um, website, you will find the brand new Concacaf League Ranking Index, and this takes all of the first division teams in Concacaf. Concacaf has forty one different members, but this ranks basically the top 14. League MX at number one, Major League Soccer at two, and there's all criteria as to where where they are. Honduras is three, Costa Rica is four, uh, Guatemala is five. The Canadian Premier League, which we just mentioned, actually now has been given two spots to this new CONCACAF Champions Cup. Uh, That ends up being in sixth place. My question to you guys and to people listening is, where, if you had to put a second division league, which is the USL championship, where do you think they would fall within this? Because the only way for a USL team to qualify for CONCACAF Champions Cup is Open Open Cup, as opposed to MLS teams that we just said have 10 different opportunities, basically. And I know it's a little different with the Canadian clubs, but 10 different opportunities to qualify for it. So how good is USL championship relative to all of these other countries? First division, even yeah, being a second, I, division? I would say it's, it's would be pretty close to uh, Canadian. Is Premier it better League? than I've the looked, Canadian? Yeah, Premier yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say so. I've, I've watched a couple of Canadian Premier League sure. games and, and by the way, there's three Canadian teams that yeah. don't even play in it. The and, three and players that Canadian can't teams. get contracts in USL, or because that's where the players go first. I mean, a player in the USL will be making more money than a player would be making in the Canadian Premier League, guaranteed, hundred percent. So, so sh- you know, people, those players would try to play in MLS first or League MX, and then they would try to go to USL, MLS Next Pro, maybe, and then you're kind of thinking, okay, uh, Canadian Premier League could be a route to get games. Where does uh? USL show up in this list. If so you if have. I'm understanding this, you want USL teams to have entry into every competition in the world except MLS. <laughs> <laughs> no, but look, this will never happen. But if it's about getting the best leagues and the best teams from those leagues in the in, in CONCACAF, I think USL championship actually has a case that they are better than a lot of these other leagues and many of these leagues that are getting automatic automatic bits. Now, look, over in England, the championship could kind of make that case too. But again, it's a very different structure because over there we have uh, promotion relegation. So what are you suggesting? I guess what I'm suggesting, but will never happen, is MLS should give one of their spots so that USL has one chance where the champion... So it's a charity. No, it's looking. This is business here. And squeaky wheel and all that kind of stuff. And Don Garber sits on boards with uh, when it comes to U.S. soccer and all that. So you have to be in positions of power to make decisions. And oftentimes those positions of power reflect the people that have motives and the people that have, and, and as Don Garber should. So, so what about if we did a, uh, you know, championship style playoff match or like the Bundesliga where you have the third bottom team plays the third top team from the second division. So that last spot goes the winner of the USL championship plays off against the 10th placed MLS team that would qualify for that the Champions Cup. Holds thinking about stuff One over game, here. And maybe USL every other year might qualify for the Champions Cup. Or what could happen Ooh. is Saudi Arabia could buy the <laughs> USL, all right? And then ah. eight months from now, 
They have to See, merge with MLS. So this, is, this would come back to something oh you you goodness. tweet about all the time. <laughs> they would create a better mousetrap. There you go. You always exactly. say to people, you want ProRel? Create a better mousetrap. Business, trap. capitalism, all we'll that We'll get kind there. Of stuff. We'll get there. We're still a young soccer nation. Oh, We're, my we'll goodness. We'll get there. I, oh we'll, my have, goodness. we'll have ProRel in 30 years. All right, Mossy, anything else uh, you want to talk about here in this first segment? No, I think we're good. That was a beefy first. It was beefy, but look, it's and the reason why I wanted Stu to come in is because I do think that this is a historic day and talking about Messi and what it means is not just talking about Messi. It's also giving context and things that have happened in the past and looking forward and being excited. And I know and sometimes in our little world, we love to, you know, just scream and yell and say what we haven't done and kick ourselves for this and that. And we also, and I think you brought it up, Stu, have to look at the wonderful things that are happening. And this is undoubtedly one of those wonderful things. Anything before you go, Stu, that you want to tell the people out there? Where are you going to be? What are you doing? What's, uh, what's, going what's to happening dinner. with you? Uh, well, first of all, I'm going straight from here to bowling. My daughter's finishing up her school year, so we're going bowling. Oh, and nice. then I'm going straight to a date with my wife because it's our anniversary. What, what the, and all eight, we're going to talk years? about eight years. All we're going to talk messy. about tonight is messy. That's it. <laughs> messy it up. I'm, I'm going to go to an Argentine steakhouse, I think. That's that's where I'm going to take her. Can I recommend Carlitos Gardel? Carlitos there Gardel. We go. There we Absolutely. go. Uh, for those that follow you on social media and do follow him because he's an incredible follow, um, they will have noticed that you have been traveling the world. And obviously you're going to be oh, down yeah. with us this summer when we uh, when we head down under for uh, for the uh, World Cup. Give us a little hint. I mean, people will oh, see man. all the things that you did uh, ultimately I, well, in the first broadcast. Of all, I was, it's a little bit of sweet. I got to go to Australia and New Zealand without my uh, my travel partner it's, here. Listen, you know, I was, we, we I did, was jealous. I had FOMO, together. but you know what? It, um, I, I saw it, the things that you were doing, which was wonderful. And I certainly had a wonderful time uh, with you when we went to is, This is the hardest part of my job to convince my wife that this is, jo- this is work. <laughs> uh, I went to Australia and New Zealand for two weeks. I did all the the stuff that you would want to do there on, in terms of bucket lists. It took a uh, helicopter to the top of a glacier. We went to wineries. It was surfing in Bondi Beach, my first time ever surfing. All I can say is I, I had a wonderful experience in Qatar. It was the best World Cup we've seen on the men's side in history. I think Australia and New Zealand, is they're going to be fantastic hosts. First Women's World Cup in the Southern Hemisphere. They are jacked up for this tournament. And... It's just, it was a cool part of the world that I had never been to. And I'm already saying I want to take my family on vacation there. I want to go back multiple times. It's a long flight, 15 hours. But the scenery in New Zealand, the people are so proud of their culture there. They're so friendly, so welcoming. Uh, You and I had met with one of these former women's rugby players from New Zealand, Melody Robinson, uh, last time we were there. She turned 50 uh, while we were there shooting, and she invited all of our crew to her 50th birthday party. (laughs) And, you know, rugby gals drinking and like this, just like really nice, friendly people that, uh, and and I can't wait to to go back. We're going to have a heck of a tournament. Hopefully, hopefully celebrating a uh, three-peat for the U.S. That's, listen, uh, I I cannot wait to get down there. And we will see a lot of those uh, Those features uh, during the World Cup. And we we're going to Photoshop you into it. Oh, there we go. That's wonderful. Well, thank you, the great Stuart Holden. Thank you for stopping by here. Good things, my friend. Good things. Good things. Fam. All right. There we go. Uh, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we got some other stuff to talk about. All right. Welcome back. I have called an audible. I have made a change, Mossy. Uh, when we left you last segment, you, uh, I said that Stu was leaving. He's not leaving. We're not letting him leave. Hold on. Hey, Lex, my wife's we're, calling. Was <laughs> Please. We're, we're going to keep him for as long as possible. Messy signed for Miami. Messy signed for Miami. It's, again, a reminder. It's Stu Holden's eighth <laughs> wedding anniversary. And we're going to have him here to talk about soccer uh, on the pod. But he has graciously agreed to continue on with us. We were like, well, why are we having him go when he... Yeah. 
to be fair, though, he was like, eh, I can stick I'm around. I can around. stick yeah, around. Yeah, it on. made it seem like he had to run off and do some different things. Uh, Mossy, all right. There's uh, there's already been some games and some uh, some games that we want to talk about and some big games coming up. So where should we start? We had a European final today, the Conference League final in Prague. West Ham claimed a 2-1 win over Fiorentina. All the goals in the second half. Ben Rama from the penalty spot made it 1-0 West Ham. Then Bonaventura equalized a few minutes later. And then in the 90th minute, Jared Bowen assisted by Lucas Paqueta. So West Ham take it 2-1. Their first major European trophy since the 1965 Cup Winners' Cup. Back in the day when they had Bobby Moore and Jeff Hurst and Martin Peters and guys like that. Uh, a couple of big talking points in this game. Uh, in the first half, a really ugly incident. Uh, the Fiorentina captain, Cristiano Biraghi, was hit by an object thrown from the West Ham fans. He was bleeding and the game had to be stopped. We talked about the behavior of Roma fans in mm -hmm. the airport the other day. Uh, I mean, what's going on here? Is it, does this feel like it's getting worse, the behavior of fans? And Yeah, I actually saw a video go viral, too, that was, uh, there's the incident there, getting hit on the head. And, you know, the, the West Ham fans, there was apparently ambushed by Fiorentina fans and there was big fights in the streets. In the streets. And, and, uh. and, yeah, it's just... It's just ugly, you know, that all of that. And especially on what a great occasion for West Ham. And as you said, I, I know it's the conference final, but winning a, a major trophy for a season that they had where they, you know, I, I actually have a lot of respect for the West Ham ownership because they could have fired David Moyes. That's what everybody was wanting them to do, right? Thinking they were going to go down. They don't. They stay up. They win a trophy in, in the year. And, you know, for, for his career, David Moyes, what he's been through, you saw him sprinting down the sideline there. That was that shades clip. of Mourinho at Old Trafford in yeah, 2004. Yeah, that exactly. was great to see. Uh, is it a trophy? I mean, I know, yeah. which you. one is this? This I'm is not. This is, this is you not like NIT. to call it this the is... NIT of the NIT. It's right. the third yeah. tier. It's yeah. a trophy. No, yeah. look, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> hey, hey, Mourinho won this last year, and he made a big deal about it. I know you love Jose I'm Mourinho. Sure he don't got uh, it tattooed on uh, tattooed on his arm. Uh, uh, second big talking point: uh, the first uh, West Ham goal came about due to a handball in the box. Biragi, the same guy that got hit by the fan, so he had a eventful day. Uh, and again, I saw a lot of snarky tweets about, well, I guess in the modern day letter of the law, Stu, this has been a big theme on this podcast. Alexi and I are so sick of the whining about handballs. It seems like people are programmed now. Anytime a handball is given, they have to make some snarky comment about the rule, including after plays that Alexi and I think should be a handball, like the Grealish play in the FA Cup final or the mm -hmm. play today. Uh, where do you come down on this whole handball controversy? Yeah, it actually makes your job as a commentator really hard sometimes because no matter what you end up saying and look, it's subjective whether, you know, where the silhouette is, is it extended? Is it not? And you and I can go back and forth and disagree. And ultimately, uh, the way we look at handball is very different now because of yes, the way the game has changed, but also VAR and some calls that we all could agree should be moved on. But then if you go to VAR and you look at it like the Grealish one, for example, that's a handball, but you know, by, by the letter of the law and the way that the game is looked at, it's a handball. So you're never going to net out. I think where everybody's happy in this. I know, Alexi, you're you're always the one you come back to. Is like, if it hits your hand, it's a handball. Flat. Just call it I just, simple. Just play the game like that. Yeah. I know the I know the laws <laughs> yeah. don't necessarily state that, but I just I just figure that everybody should just play like that. So therefore, they're not surprised if and when it's uh, it's ultimately. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. Uh, I I think I always I had a huge conversation about this exact call, the Grealish one, for example, in a group chat of former teammates, and everybody's going back and forth and saying that should never be a handball. And I was like, well, it's, you know, made uh, been by uh, all the refereeing communities that this is how it needs to be called and refereed. And if a hand is extended, it should be a handball. And, uh, you know, it's it makes my job tough or I don't feel it's as tough sometimes because I'm giving my opinion. But it just means that right. I'm going to have a lot more people disagreeing with whatever I end up saying. Uh, taking, taking a step back also to the, you know, the off the field stuff that we are seeing. And I, I don't necessarily think that it's that it's becoming 
worse or it's more pronounced. We still have these things. And look, you get people together in a group. Uh, they will do things that they won't do individually. Obviously, you throw in alcohol and it can lead to, to problems. Uh, I'm curious um, because this had at least attempted to be, to the extent that you can, stamped out as much as you can. And I think some real progress has been made over the last decades. And you look back in the day and there was some really, really bad stuff going on both in the grounds and, and outside. In your career, um, did you ever see anything or experience anything either game day or or else that um you know that was beyond the pale i guess from fans yeah from yeah, fans i mean look i know you and i have probably the same story mexico anytime you played sure. down in mexico it was like and and you kind of felt it was part of the experience right you're like hey i got i hit by a by a battery today or oh there's a bag of urine or there's a coin that gets thrown at you and you kind of expected that it it comes to the territory. I, I don't know how you stop it, right? Like, I mean, they, they don't sell bottles in stadiums. Right. They open your cans. They they do everything else. People are, if they want to do that, they're going to find a way to bring things into the stands and they think it's part of being, you know, anti the other team and supporting your team. And we hate that player. And we're going to- Hardcore. Yeah, really we're hardcore. We're going to, you know, we're going to fight for our guys. It's, I, I, and I think also, I sound like such an old guy saying this, but like- <laughs> In the, in the era of social media where we capture these moments on camera and they almost become celebrated in a mm. way and we all, you know, we all kind of like, oh my God, look how insane this clip is. But it gets it gives those people attention. And so, you know, whether they can have their five minutes by recording their selfie and their buddies showing them filling up the, the thing and they throw it and they get a rise out of it and it goes viral, it's cool to them, right? And But it's so strange because the opposite should happen, right? The, yeah. You should be like, the hey, fear, we know who the fear did it. that yeah. you actually are going to be on camera pretty much anything yeah. that you do, but it still doesn't seem to deter people. As a matter of fact, to your point, it, it only encourages people. So, look, uh, it's it, don't be a dick. Right. I mean, I'm going to make great. I'm going to get shirts made. basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mossy, what else? So I spoke recently about the possibility of Italian clubs sweeping all three uh, major European competitions. They're 0 for 2. Right? Roma lost the Europa League final to Sevilla on penalties. Fiorentina go down today, so they could end up losing all three. In Inter we trust, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> the last of our European finals is the big one. Saturday in Istanbul, Manchester City will face Inter. City looking to win this competition for the first time. It's their second final in three years. They lost to Chelsea in 2021, a Chelsea team that featured Christian Pulisic. He was a late sub in that final. Uh, Inter have won the European Cup three times. They won it back-to-back. 64 and 65 when they were managed by Helenio Herrera. And then in 2010 with Jose Mourinho when they won the treble. They're the last Italian club to win it. Uh, City overwhelming favorites. They're looking to complete a treble. Uh, Stu, overall thoughts on this one? First off, uh, I know you're a big uh, gambler. Uh, in the in the in the most positive mm. and healthy uh, way. Okay, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, thanks for quantifying what, what, that. <laughs> uh, what 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 odds would you give? Uh, uh, because this is a David and Goliath type of yeah, scenario. Yeah, I, I would have. To, I, I don't know what the official line is, but, but I, if you I would were have to, to say that line. Inter would be to win to win outright, and especially in regulation, yeah. they'd be a plus four hundred plus okay. something like that. I, I, maybe we can look it up after right. this. But we'll, we'll check it out. We have, safe pe we have say, people look, in the back. Th this Man City team is is next level. They they have never won the Champions League. This feels like the season they're putting it all together. Swept aside Man United, complete completed the comeback against Arsenal. Erling Holland was the piece that they were missing, the striker, the presence up front. This is the and again, like this is not trying to say this is not a good inter team because inter to get to this point, but they were on the weaker side of the bracket when it came to the knockouts in the Champions yeah. League and getting to the final. Um, Producer they, song, by the way, tells us it's plus six hundred. Okay, so, so I was even underselling. Well, you, were, inter. you really like inter? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was. Hey, look, I know Italians in finals, <laughs> but uh, I also know 
Pep Guardiola and this Man City team. And I, I just don't see a way in which Inter Milan win this game. A few things. Um, you mentioned Holland, 52 goals in all competitions, 12 in the Champions League. If he were to score and City were to win to complete a treble, there's been this uh, growing debate. Uh, Holland versus Messi, who should win the Ballon d'Or? It's a classic club versus country debate because this Ballon d'Or still encompasses the World Cup, but then you have what Holland did at club level. Which way would you go on that? I just don't see how you could not give Lionel Messi the Ballon d'Or when he wins a World Cup. Um, he, he, Messi and think like Messi put together a season for Barcelona where he scored fifty plus goals and he wasn't even in the final, the top five, because of what Messi had set in terms of standards for himself. Holland's time will come when Messi moves to MLS and he. But comes, it's not going to come from an international perspective. No, not from an international, okay. and, and it will be off the back of a club season. He's put together. It would be as you said, the amount of goals he scored, and if they win the treble. I don't know. Could you have argued he could have done much more? I just think that Messi also won the league domestically with PSG. Yes, they win it every single year. I know they didn't win the Champions League, but he single-handedly took that team in Argentina to a World Cup with all the pressure and everything that came with it. I'm, I'm a romantic as well, and and that's that, that's got to be Messi. For Pep, this would be his third Champions League title, moving him ahead of the likes of Sir Alex and Mourinho and level with Zidane and Bob Paisley. Ancelotti is still the record holder with four. Where do you come down on the Pep debate? Because there, there are some people who feel like there's this Phil Jackson-y element to his career where it's always been great teams with great players, lots of money. So they think that detracts from his greatness. Do, do I, you I feel that way? I want to throw it back at you right now because uh, yeah, I feel like you have a strong, a strong feeling on that. No, I think he's a genius. And uh, my, my whole take on Pep is that, to me, his legend is less about the winning and it's about the way his teams play and the way he's influenced the game. I think half the time he doesn't even concern himself with the winning that much, but that's just a byproduct of coaching really good teams and getting them to play incredible football week in, week out. Uh, you can't help but win trophies along the way. But I, when I think about Pep Guardiola, like, like I said recently on the podcast, if somebody 50 years from now wanted to understand why he's such an important figure in the game and he just went to his Wikipedia page, looked at the honor section and thought, oh, it's because he's won all these things, I think you'd be missing a big part of the story, which is the way his teams did it. So I do think he deserves a lot of credit for that. You are making a face, my friend, so go. He's never won the Europa Conference League. <laughs> so, or the, the Champions <laughs> Cup. Uh, allow me to geek out here for a few more minutes. Sure, sure. When have uh, I ever not loved? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was See, in, I knew he was loaded on this uh, one. I, uh, an, another batted the ball back before I chime in here. Another frequent topic on this podcast is the top heaviness of European football. And I think this stat really illustrates it. Um, in terms of European teams that have completed the treble, now I define the treble, by the way, that was another debate on this podcast recently, whether <laughs> so LAFC main, main winning oh, would, yeah, have, yeah. would have constituted a treble. That's treble, by the way, if they had one. Oh, interesting. Oh, Stu. All right, so you're go. with Alexia. I knew I liked you. That's uh, why we keep But in up. Europe, uh, I define a treble as European Cup, domestic league, and primary domestic cup competition. I know there's some funky ones out there. Liverpool one year won the Europa League, FA Cup, and League Cup, and Zach Kenworthy runs around calling that a treble. But <laughs> to me, a treble is European Cup, domestic league, primary domestic cup. And from the first season of the European Cup, 1955-56, through the 2007-2008 campaign, so that's 53 seasons, there were four trebles in Europe. It only happened four times. Celtic did it, Ajax, PSV, and Manchester United in 99. City now are on the precipice of completing the sixth treble in the last 15 seasons. So this is becoming a much more frequent occurrence, which people think speaks to this top heaviness where the, the great teams are even more dominant, even better than the rest of the competition. Does that trouble you that we're, we're about to see something that was a rare occurrence in the past. Now we're about to see a team do it for the sixth time in the last 15 seasons. We've seen Bayern win the Bundesliga 11 seasons in a row. PSG win league on nine in the last 11 seasons. City win it's five all, the last six. It's almost like we titles. should, uh, you know, develop a super league or something. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it becomes boring. Yeah, it, it does become boring. I, I remember uh, 
I've, I've changed the way that I've thought about this because I think when I first was thinking, you know, it's on the other teams to be better, right? I mean, don't don't let them win every year. Dortmund blew it this year. By- Bayern's streak should have ended and Dortmund blew it. But it, it, I think the way that I know they've tried financial fair play, people have clearly, Manchester City, <clears throat> found ways around some of those, you know, the, the ways in which they've tried to frame the the spending and the salary capping. And salary capping maybe is does become an answer because I don't want to see PSG win the title every year. I don't want to see Manchester City win the title every year because I think it makes it boring and predictable. And that's the way that those leagues have become. And that's why the Champions League, I think, has become more prominent than some of the domestic leagues outside of what I would say is the Premier League. Because you know that Barcelona or Real Madrid's going to win. You know PSG's going to win. You know Bayern's going to win. And actually, the Italian league is the only league that has seen some form of parity in the last five years. As a part owner at Mallorca, have you pitched this in any La Liga meetings? Hey, uh, did you about- say top 10 cl- uh, yeah. club? Yeah, no, no. You guys did very well. Congratulations. Yeah. And, and like that for us is a huge accomplishment. We're one of the lowest budgets in La Liga. And so the way in which we've been able to kind of Craft a squad, but you have to have a perfect season exactly. to be able to finish that top I 10. You're your fans. I, I don't want to be a fan of a team and wake up on the first day of the season and already know <laughs> yeah. that I have no chance of winning the championship. Yeah. Look, and, and it's totally fair. That, I mean, that's like, why that's your selling point for MLS, right? It is. That's exactly yeah. it. In each and every time. Now, is it is it easy? No. And ha- is there a separation when it comes to MLS? Yes, but it's nothing relative to the rest of the world. I want to wake up and say, yeah, I have a chance. Things have to go right and soccer gods have to smile on us. And maybe we're not spending as money as everybody else, but there is a chance of winning. <laughs> and there's a lot of the majority that wake up and they're okay with that. And I, I just yeah. don't, I, I, I don't I, get I gotta it. say, it's a true story about Mallorca when we were in the third division and uh, we got relegated. It was travesty for the club. We're trying to figure out, you know, how to restructure, how to get back up. And we were winning every game in the third division. And, you know, we kept a lot of our players. We'd spent more money. And our club president came to us uh, at, at one point. We were over there watching a game. And he goes, I got to say that the fans have not been this excited for a long time because they like the feeling that their team is winning every game. Now, if you told them, hey, we could be in La Liga or stay right. in the third division, but it was a real thing as you're but talking still, about. It's is visceral. The, it's the like, first time, yeah. like you're going to a game, and you're excited, and you know you have a chance. You're winning. You're celebrating. It's it's a totally different feeling. Meanwhile, you know, I think we understand contextually where our team is and the chances that we have and that, you know, we win on the last day to finish ninth place and that the, the town's a party. All right. So uh, via the lead got relegated, by the way, my hero, the Brazilian Ronaldo is getting lambasted in the local media there. So that getting involved in club yeah. ownership can be a dangerous game, but That's you're navigating authentic <laughs> supporters and <laughs> fandom and all that uh, kind of stuff. Last thing on this game. Okay. As it's getting closer, I'm starting to talk myself into Inter having a chance. Oh, for they, they do some things tactically that I think well, are yeah, going to- They play very compact. They yeah, play with a back They play with five. back three. Yeah. It's a, a Serbi, Bastoni, and Darmian, and then it can turn into a back five with Dumfries and Di Marco. Pushing back, they've got three players in the midfield. They're all very good technically. Barella, Mikatarian, and Chalenolu. They have two up front, which few teams play yeah. with these days, and Lautaro and Jacko. So that's a different look for the City back line. I don't know. I think well, they can be think frisky. When, uh, when City were last in the Champions League final, they lost to Chelsea, and they lost in a way where they made a mis- made a couple mistakes at the back. Chelsea hit them on quickly on the counter attack. That's how Inter are going to play. And but we haven't seen a lot of mistakes from Man City this yeah. year, and, and, and yeah. the depth that they have to be able to make changes and. <laughs> Big changes, but the- you know th- this is the big pressure moment. This it is, is this is the one-off game, and it, it it's one of those occasions where like that's the final piece missing. Now they know what's at stake in this game. I still don't see a way in which they win. So you're gonna t- if if I gave you a thousand dollars of Alexi's money, who would you put it on? Alexi's money, Inter. Thousand dollars <laughs> um, of your money, Man City. <laughs> yeah, I will say I'm in that final two years ago. Pep 
played this weird lineup without a holding midfielder. That was back still in his overthinking it days. He seems to have cut that out uh, in this home stretch here. He's kind of settled in a lineup that's clearly their best lineup. It's what he puts out in every game, this 3-2-4-1 look. Never underestimate and Peck so on the we'll day see. of the game. He's had a lot of time to think about it. Yeah, maybe I should do that. All right. All right uh, next up, uh, Major League Soccer. We have uh, another exciting weekend coming up. We've picked out some games we want to talk about. Uh, Cincinnati hosting Vancouver. Cincinnati, as we mentioned in the last podcast, 39 points from 16 games. That's the most in the post-shootout era. They're also, by the way, rolling in the U.S. Open Cup. They yep. advanced to the semis. They beat the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Some incredible goals in the game. How about yeah, that? Well, Aldo well, Barrios. Incredibly offside goal. Uh, the, fir- <laughs> the first one. Double. It was two offsides in one in one <laughs> moment there. No VAR, by the way, in, uh, in Open Cup. But, you know, they followed it up with just an incredible goal from the top of the box. And they're they are flying right mm. now uh, and yeah. you know the defensive we talked about their defensive prowess uh, and their ability and they're built on not letting the opposition score a lot of goals and they get the goals that they uh, that they ultimately need and the environment that they've created in that yes. in that yeah. new stadium is well, pretty awesome the, the environment but also i think what it shows you in major league soccer is that you can gain an advantage by having a good scouting system by having a good technical director by hiring a good coach by just improving in general your club and Look, look no further than the LA Galaxy right now and what's happened to them in recent years. So it's not just all about having the good players, but it's about recruitment from the top to the bottom. And what Cincinnati, their first couple of years, they, I mean, they were historically bad, a league, league history bad. And what they've done since Chris Albright has come in and Pat Noonan has come in and the players and the pieces in which they put around. The fact that last year they made the playoffs and that this year they're competing for the Supporter Shield in just two years, how quickly they've turned that round around should be a lesson to all the clubs around Major League Soccer right now that are struggling and keep saying, oh, well, we're not doing this and we're not... And ownership's not investing enough. No, they're just not investing the money in the right places to make the team successful. I think Pat Noonan also, he doesn't suffer fools and we know him. And he, I think, very clearly lays out what the expectations are. Not necessarily in like an old school sense, because I think he's part of this generation that bridges that old school type of mentality, but also recognizes that you can't treat this generation of players in the same way. And that's... That's not always easy to straddle, and I think he's done a really, really good job. Because you look at that team, and you don't even have to have been in the locker room to understand that, you know, they might not, everything might not go perfectly, but they have an idea of how they want to play. And it has been from day one, this is what we are going to do, and they haven't deviated from it, and they have put the players in there that have the ability to do it and have bought into what has happened. Yeah, they're fun to watch. Uh, San Jose, Philadelphia, since getting knocked out of CCL, Philadelphia, six wins and one draw in seven MLS games. They've won their last four in a row. They're one point behind Nashville for second place in the East. They're starting to look like the team we thought they were going to be coming into the season. Would, uh, you mentioned uh, Jim Curtin in uh, yeah. the previous segment about uh, about that. And I, 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 I love Jim Curtin. I've talked about it before. But here's another one that I think is very clear, not just with his team, but also with himself. He's not He's not a true believer in that he won't deviate if if need be, but he does believe that what he is doing is best, especially for this group that, like Cincinnati, yeah. is doing more uh, more with less. I, I guess m- first, my first question to you is bigger picture when it comes to uh, it comes to this. Uh, is this is this a function of not being in CCL, and is this or not not continuing on in CCL? And then I guess even bigger picture, do you think that uh, that Jim Curtin, if you 
pictured him five, ten years from now, what's he doing? Philadelphia, let's let's go back to club identity and and within this league. Philadelphia is one of the best run club clubs in North America. What they're able to do on the budget that they they have, the scouting, how they develop players, how they sell on young players, they stick true to philosophy. I mean, Jim Curtin was one of the public coaches that said, look. We wouldn't be true to who we are if I stopped these young players from going to the U-20 national team. It's going to hurt my team, but this is part of who we are as a club, and we're going to sell on these players. We're going to develop them. I never worried for one second about the union because of the players that they've got in that team. Julian Carranza is probably going to leave on a big transfer fee at the end of this year. He's another perfect example of a mess he was in Miami. Comes to Philly, he's one of the best strikers in the league. So what is that? That's environment. And it's also coaching. And Jim Curtin has pushed all the right buttons with this team. He's the perfect fit there. But I think also at a point, Jim Curtin might outgrow Philadelphia. Yeah. And, you know, for him to be viewed in a different light as a coach and perhaps had he gone to Europe, say, last year or something, right? If, if Jim Curtin had done two years in Europe, people would be screaming for him to be the national team coach. He's a really good coach. Philly, a really good team. Uh, and a really good, uh, a really well, can't even talk, but a really well run club. But they're coming up against uh, a much improved San Jose, which yeah. Gonzalez has done a good, uh, a good job there. So who do you got in this one? Uh, I've got Philly. Philly. You got Philly going. Yeah. Here. Philly 2-0. Car Carranza goal uh, okay. and Ua goal. No, I got, I got San Jose in this one. Um, and I have Cincinnati in the first game. You got Cincinnati over Vancouver, Cincinnati playing at home in that first game yeah. of the ones that we've yeah, highlighted yeah. here. Cincy for uh, sure. Let's get, to, let's go to the game that Stu's working, right? Here yes. Uh, live on Fox on Sunday, St. Louis will host the LA Galaxy. Stu, what are you thinking about with this one? Yeah. So this is an interesting one because the Galaxy, you know, they came roaring back after the big news. The uh, club president, Chris, Chris Klein, was moving on. The Galaxy finally get a win. They said that it wasn't off of, you know, that news and that they were just this, they were finding the right form. This is this becomes a big game for the Galaxy now against the St. Louis City team. That They're is all just big at, games yeah, now, Yeah, you're right. It's big games all the way down the stretch. Last place in the league, completely underachieving. In saying that, they do have some good players. You and I, I know, Lex, you feel the same way. Ricky Pooj is uh, an exciting player to watch. They haven't gotten Chicharito rolling just yet, so that's going to be an interesting one to watch. But what what I think they're going to struggle with against St. Louis City is just how, how fast of a tempo that this team plays and how much pressure they put you under, especially at home. So for the Galaxy to go on the road against St. Louis, it's going to be interesting to see how they can, uh, they can handle this one because I think the Galaxy need a result. So I want to talk about both of these teams individually. What has St. Louis done from your perspective uh, in terms of assembling a team that obviously came out of the shoot hot, but they've able to maintain it. I mean, they're looking right now. I had said when they first came online, look, if they're even in the hunt for a playoff spot, I think that that is going to be a success. Unless something dramatically changes in what they are doing right now, they are going to be in a hunt and maybe even more so when it comes to a playoff spot. And that's, you know, that's a credit to that organization and what they what they what they have done. Is there anything that's stood out to you in terms of what they've done? Yeah. So I, I would what I would say for St. Louis City is that the way in which they recruited their team and built their team around a coach, they identified their coach, Bradley Carnell, very early in the process. Yep. Uh, they identify the way in which they want to play and the types of players that they want within that, which is a younger, high-intensity type of team. They found some players that had you know, pretty good careers in Europe, uh, were kind of on the fringe of Bundesliga teams, 
Um, they have a Brazilian striker in João Klaus that got is, themselves a good goalkeeper. Yeah, they too. got a, they got a great goalkeeper yeah. in Roman Berkey, who at times, you know, I know <laughs> in the Bundesliga had his his uh, fair share of mistakes, but he's actually the highest performing goalkeeper in terms great. of his expected goals against and what he's been able to to swing the momentum back there. And the other part, they're very good at home. They've they've created an environment in that stadium. They've they've created a place in which they put teams under high pressure. And they get the early goals and they just continue to mount that pressure. So uh, across the board, very impressed with what they've done. And in fact, again, when you speak about historic moments in this league, they're the for a franchise team and first year team in this league, they've had more points than any other team has had at this point in the season. All right. So you and John will be working that one. That is on Big Fox on Sunday. But we also have another uh, we have double header, basically, uh, over on FS1. We also have some MLS action. Yes. Uh, Portland facing Dallas. Western Conference showdown. Portland. Only 11th in the West, four wins in 16 games. They can't that, get it going. Really Portland can't, going, get, it, no. can't no. get it going. I'm not inspired by that team right nah. now, right? And then, no. you know, the big excitement about Evander and uh, offseason you know, signing. And he just, I mean, they uh, had that one blip against Seattle at home, and you thought, all right, they're turning it around. And they, they had some injuries early on and all that. But just, it's, it's just, there's something, there's something missing. And, you know, Dallas. I don't think is the great team that it that it has been in recent years, but it's not a, it's not a bad team. No, Jesus Ferreira having another yeah. strong season. Uh, it'd be interesting if he's in for the Gold Cup potentially uh, as as part of that roster. I would so, think so, right? Yeah, I, mean, I think you're going to get a very U.S. heavy, uh, sorry, MLS heavy roster for the Gold Cup live here on Fox Sports starting June 24th. All right, so who do you got? St. Louis, uh, Los Angeles, Mossy. Who do you got? Uh, St. Louis. You got St. Louis. What about you? Uh, I'm going to go St. Louis also. All right, but then I'll go the LA Galaxy. Uh, Portland, Dallas. Begrudgingly. What do you got, Mossy? Portland, breakout game for a Breakout game. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go Dallas. Really? Yeah. I'm going to agree with you, Dallas. Um, All right, uh, should we take another quick uh, break here? Yeah, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. And again, Stu Holden sitting in with us I'm going to ask Alexi. All right, cool. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. You can use that hashtag Ask Alexi on all the uh, social media platforms out there. And again, our handle is SOTU with Alexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. I think we have a Twitter question today, right, Mossy? Uh, yes. At the final Quan says, hi, Alexi. Love your work at the World Cup, but admittedly, my soccer interest has died down since Qatar. I try to follow, but can't keep up. Can you give us a couple of names on this roster? We should be watching for breakout candidates. The roster is referring to as the U.S. National Team's upcoming Nations League roster. Everyone knows 10-7-21-2. Anyone else? All right. So, look, first off, I love your honesty. And believe me, you are not alone, Quan. I think it's Quan. This is a layup uh, for you, by no, the way. But, for... but, you know, the fact that people come in and out, and we all know that a lot of it revolves around the World Cups, and then people go off and do their different things. And, you know, that's cool. I'd love you to stay, but whatever. But the fact that you are actually getting into it, and it's really interesting summer when it comes to this U.S. national team. We talked earlier about the fact that they don't have a full-time coach. Uh, they have interim on <laughs> their second interim coach. The great B.J. Callahan will lead the uh, team into uh, this Nations League and I guess potentially into a uh, Gold Cup here. Um, you know, it's I think a lot of attention, rightfully so, is going to be on uh, Florian Balogun. He is the 21-year-old striker, uh, dual national, uh, who could have played for England and recently committed to the U.S. men's national team. He spent this past season over in France playing for 
How do you say Rem? Rem? Hans. Well, uh, Stu uh, speaks Hans. French. He can back me up on that. Please. This is ridiculous. Huh. All right. Well, it's Hans. spelled R-E-I-M-S, and it's pronounced um, Anyway, he was on loan from Arsenal, and he blew up. He scored 21 goals, and this is obviously a position of need. So I think a lot of eyes are going to be focused on him. We will see him for the first time. It remains to be seen because this is, keep in mind, two games, a semifinal, and not just any semifinal, a game against Mexico, our biggest rival. And so is it right into the fire or not for BJ in terms of his decision on what's he going to do? I say you put him in there and let's just see what happens against actual good competition. And that's a better way, I think, to measure him because I want to find out exactly what he is all about. So I think that's uh, that's one. Stu, I know you have the uh, the roster pulled up there. Any other ones that uh, that stick out to you? There's a lot of usual suspects, yeah. but there also are some other ones that and possibly. I think just might. as a general overarching theme, when it comes to this roster, this is really going to be the first time we've seen this group of players in this way in a real competitive match since the World Cup and that loss against the Netherlands and. Who's their first game? Hey, it's Mexico, U.S. Mexico in Vegas, Nations League semifinal. And I, I would say an interesting name that, that should stand out should be Ricardo Pepe. He was a player that, you know, scored the most goals of any player for the U.S. in the qualifying campaign and the lead up to the World Cup. He was cut surprisingly by Greg Berhalter right before the World Cup. He is back in. He comes off the back of a good season in Holland. So I would be looking at Ricardo Pepe and what you're going to see from him because I think we all expect that Balogun is going to be the starter, but Pepe might say, hey, you know, I, I deserve a shot Do you shot think in. he starts Mal Balogun? I think he starts Balogun. I think you, you have to start Balogun. Well, well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, who knows? It's a PJ, you never know what PJ is. You never know what a Callahan is. Right? You never know what he's going to do. Masi? Uh, I'm curious to see Zendejas play against Mexico. I think that's kind of a neat storyline because of the Well, you're not going to go with your recruiting. friend Johnny Cardoso, who's evidently back in the national team so wait, program. Yeah, here you go, Masi, too. Who, who would you start at the back for the U.S.? Because Tim Ream is hurt. He's out. He was the breakout goalkeeper at the World Cup. You've got Walker Zimmerman, Chris Richards, Austin Trusty, and Miles Robinson, I think, competing for that center back position. I would probably go Walker and Miles. Walker and Miles. Is he still going with Walker, huh? So the two Robinson and, and uh, Sergino Dest on the right-hand side, right? That's the, that's the safe I think way. I, I would go with Chris Richards. Uh, I, or I Austin Trusty's had a really great season in the championship for Birmingham. Yeah, I, I will also say that one to watch, and it's absolutely because of the drama over the last six months, is Gio Reyna. And he's, you know, he's here with the team, and there's still so much stuff that floats around with him. Uh, and let's be honest, baggage that I think is going to fairly or not accompany him going forward. But through all of it, I don't think anybody, despite different, you know, different ways of looking at the situation and you know, different attitudes and all that, I don't think at any time did anybody doubt the quality that Gio Reyna has. But finding a way to harness that on a continual basis for the national team, we just saw a whole year basically where he was a super sub, and with, the, uh, and with the national team, can he find a way to make an impact so that whether it's BJ or anybody else coming in saying, not only am I going to play him, but maybe I even have to move some different things around because you're trying to get all of these yeah. pieces on so the wait, field together. Are you talking about Gio Reyna or Christian Pulisic? Hey, no. well, because look, we didn't mention Pulisic and sure. I know the question was also saying, look, we know who Pulisic is, but there's also a guy whose club future is up in the air right now. He's talked publicly about it. Hey, I don't know if I'm going to stay at Chelsea or leave. He enjoys his soccer with the U.S. He said he wants to get back to that, finding that joy and that confidence. No better place to do it, my friend, than against our uh, cross-border rivals, Mexico. All right. Uh, do you think the U.S. beats Mexico? Yeah, huh? 
This I, is, I really this don't is know. next week, right? We're, yeah, look, we're, we're recording Alexi, this on 15th. Wednesday. Yep. I really don't know because, you know, Mexico are, have a new coach as yeah. well. They're changing over their... Yes, I do. I think we beat Mexico. Yeah, we own them, right? I think BJ Callahan wins the tactical battle against Diego Coca and the U.S. wins as a result. I, I do want to ask you, uh, Final Quan said he loved your work at the World Cup. Do you think he means on the television side or a podcast? <laughs> well, that there is somebody out there that actually loves my work other than my mom, um, I, I will take it. I will take it. One, one last thing before yeah. we go. Stu, can you tell Alexi how this team is pronounced? A.S. Trois. You see? Every time I say it like that, he rolls his eyes at me. <laughs> well, I... I giggle too because you know it has the potential for, <laughs> for some it's real. Not like uh, con, yeah. I just con have to be really MC. careful when I say when I say it. Um, <laughs> all right, listen, we're, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, I will have you. Uh, I have my one for the road, as I always do. All right, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and I know this show has gone long. Producer Sean is pulling his hair out in the uh, in the stu- in the uh, in the uh, the room over there, and. Uh, it's okay. You know, we're giving you a little, you know, extra here when it comes to the State of the Union. Um, and we also, when we have a, a great guest like Stu Holden, you know, we want to make sure that we use him, which is why we have kept him on for the uh, the whole sh- whole show. I thought that was the whole thing with podcasts. You could just talk as long as you wanted to. You can, but there are there are traditions and there <laughs> are strategies that are kind of time tested. But do you see point. what I did? I just tried to. Yeah, I got it. Okay, I, got to your you, final I got thing. what Sorry, you're yeah. doing. But, you know, <laughs> routine is very, very important. So being consistent when you come out and length does matter ultimately in terms of uh, the numbers. But you know what? This is just one of those days where we're going to go long. Mossy, will you explain to the folks about this whole live PGA thing? I don't follow golf. However, I woke up the other day to all hell breaking loose, not Messi-esque levels, but certainly the people out there were screaming and yelling about this, this situation and this, this moment of kumbaya that from an external perspective and one that all, admittedly I don't know a whole lot about seemed to reek of, what's the word I'm looking for? Hypocrisy, maybe? Uh, and... So, so tell the folks that maybe don't know about what's, what's happened here before I get into this. Well, first off, on the subject of golf, the U.S. Open Golf Tournament takes place in L.A. next LACC, week yeah. uh, at the Los Angeles uh, Country Club. It's like 15 minutes away from my house. I'm seeing signs all over the place. First time since 1948 the U.S. Open is being held in Los Angeles. So. I had the, the privilege of playing it two months ago in, course sh- in uh, tournament shape. Phenomenal. Really? It would be amazing. Oh, good for you. Shot an 87. Oh, my God. Well, in any event. <laughs> is that, is that, that bad? Is that good? Not, that bad? not okay. terrible. Not, not great. All right. Uh, so Saudi Arabia recently uh, created their own golf tour to rival the PGA, and they were able to poach a lot of the biggest name players on the PGA Tour by offering them much greater prize money to compete in their uh, tour, which they called the Live Golf Tour. Uh, but, you know, it became controversial. It ruffled a lot of feathers. And the PGA officials, they they were really outspoken. They couldn't believe that players were going to play for some Saudi Arabia-backed golf tour, given that country's human rights record. The PGA commissioner even played the 9-11 card. He said, How, what would you say to the families of 9-11 victims? And then we come to find out this week that the PGA golf tour and Live are actually merging in a deal that's very beneficial to Live. Uh, it must be said. Uh, so some people are even framing it as if Live essentially have bought golf this week. Um, so that caught your attention. It it did catch my attention because look, and it's interesting that Stu Holden's here uh, at this point because you know we 
hypocrisy? Well, what? no, we've come in for some crap over the uh, over the couple uh, years, especially with uh, with our work uh, in Qatar and doing things in Qatar, and you know that was to be expected, and it, it, it's fine. It, ba- it it bounces off, but you know, in, in this day and age, when I when I think about you know what sports is, and I think about ownership, and I think about now countries in terms of what they mean. Yeah, you can, you know, talk about people being hypocritical and stuff. This ultimately comes down to money. And I know that that is cynical, but it's also realistic. You have these players who I think in the capitalistic business sense recognized an opportunity and capitalized on it and therefore are reaping the rewards. And there are others that didn't. And they may have beef with the uh, the PGA folks and they'll have to they'll have to deal with that. But the beef that they have with those that went and tried something different and now evidently they have to play nice and be kum, uh, kumbaya. Grow up. Welcome. Welcome to the world. Now, the PGA will have to deal with this. And usually the way you deal with this is just to go about your business and time and people will forget and the golfers will hit the golf balls and it will it will go on. There is competition, as we said, and this all ties back into stuff that we've been talking about when it comes to Saudi Arabia, what they are attempting and actually, to be quite honest, are being successful at doing. And we talked about it earlier in this week in the pod about what happened with China and how they have gone about doing that and what Saudi Arabia is a, is is attempting to do. And is it good? Um, and look, all things are not created equal, but you can certainly look and find hypocrisy and sanctimony on a number of levels throughout the world and in a different uh, and in a number of different people and another different a number of different entities out there. And you know, we can we can scream about it and we can yell about it, but ultimately, this, like I said, comes down uh, go, comes down to money, which gets me back to my. My, my, my point, bringing it all back around to where we started. I am, you know, despite at times being viewed as a cynical <laughs> curmudgeon uh, and talk about, you know, capitalism and, and business and all that kind of stuff, there is a part of me that is incredibly romantic. And there is a romance to what Messi is doing. And he is, at least on the surface, making this decision and not completely ruling out money but money is not the determining factor ultimately and i can i can appreciate that now messi has more money than he can ever spend and his future generations are absolutely secure but what i've found that even people that make a lot of money they still want to make a lot of money and they want to make a lot more money uh, going forward. So I commend him in this moment when it could have been very easily and we all would have said, yeah, I get it. In that moment saying, you know what? No, this is where I'm going to go and this is what I am going to do. And I'll be the first to raise my hand that had it been between Messi and Ronaldo as to the pathways that they took, I thought it would have been switched. I thought Messi was the one that was going to take the money and go to Saudi Arabia and Cristiano Ronaldo was the one that was going to kind of look at his brand and do some bigger things when it came to taking less money, but going over to uh, going over to the U.S. And so in that sense, Messi 
surprised me. And I think he deserves credit and praise. He's going to make plenty of money, but he deserves credit and praise because it can be very, very difficult when people are offering you these crazy amounts of money to say, no, I am going to do, uh, I'm going to do something different. Golf is going to be fine. All right. Saudi Arabia is going to be fine. MLS is going to be fine. And this is not stopping anytime soon, unless we're all going to Trade in our cars, in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we're going to trade in our cars, and we're not going to use any of those uh, those Is resources it? <laughs> when it comes to that. No, I just think you know it. It it was baffling, and again, I'm not immersed in golf, but it, I didn't quite understand what all of the consternation was relative to everybody screaming and yelling about uh, all this. And they're going to hit golf balls, like you said, this weekend? What's it called? The, uh, uh, the U.S. Open next well, week. Next weekend. Next yeah. weekend, the, U- the U.S. Open. And, you know, they'll, they'll maybe look, you know, give a side eye to some of those guys that went off and did some different things. But then, you know, the, uh, the starter will happen and, and they'll be off to the races. Stu, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. I, I mean, yeah, it, absolute it's, pleasure. Uh, it's been wonderful. Going out for a date now. Yes. Congratulations, by the way, on eight years eight of years, marriage. Man. All right. Cruising. I can't believe that, first off, somebody even agreed to one year of marriage <laughs> with you, let alone uh, to eight. But I've met your wife before. And no, but I've, I've met her before and she is, she's like a saint, saint you know, yeah. she um, a, for yeah, what she for puts years, up buddy. with, uh, uh, with you. But thank you for, uh, you know, for coming on, on short notice. We wanted you to have I hope you we here. set the record for the longest pod in the history of the I, you State know, of I the th- Union. I just think we just for you, producer Sean. Uh, I think we, I think we did, but they're, uh, they're going to be fine. Producer yes. Sean, who has indicated to me that he would move to Saudi Arabia tomorrow if you got offered big money. Right. So I'm trying to orchestrate everybody a deal. Under, listen, everybody gets that and everybody, everybody they need understands a savant, that. The Saudi Arabian savant. We're going to keep David him Masi. here for as long as we possibly can because he uh, and everybody back there does a great job. And I will say uh, thank you to everybody back there for, you know, when I called that audible of having Stu on, you weren't here, but all hell broke loose because we had to figure <laughs> out microphone situations and all that. And we were set up for two and it was did last Did anybody minute. suggest, should we, should we just get rid of Mossy? No, nobody would ever Stu? suggest Never. that. And even Never. if they did, I would say, Never. no, it's not a show without Mossy. So you made the cut, buddy, as you will continue to do. Um, I, I will leave you with this. I am heading back to uh, God's land, if you will, which is the great state of Michigan, uh, back to Detroit. I am heading back for my 35th high school reunion. So uh, you made it, buddy. 35 I made it. years. Uh, I can't believe that it's 35 years ago that uh, that I went to or that I graduated from uh, from high school. And it's been a pretty cool ride since then. So it'll be fun to get back to Michigan. I don't get it back a whole lot, but it's fun to get back there for my uh, 35th. And I will tell you <laughs> of all the stories that uh, that uh, that happen uh, until then. And as always, keep uh, reviewing. Keep subscribing, keep rating, follow Stu on Instagram. Uh, he does a lot of work on Instagram. I have no <laughs> clue how he even gets all that stuff up, but he does great work on Instagram. Uh, and we will see you uh, next week and talk to you uh, next week. Also, reminder, um, I interviewed Jermaine Jones. Uh, yes, Jermaine Jones of the U.S. men's national team and incredible career now. He's the under-19 coach for the U.S. Uh, men over there at the uh, Federation. So look for that in your feed going forward. As I said, I will be on the road here for the next uh next week or so but we'll still get you out uh, a bunch of shows going forward all right ladies and gentlemen that has been a long show and thank you for hanging with us if you did till next time size the day